Hey guys, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Friday Froster. Everyone's back, and we have a special guest today. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that I would just change things up and uh, invite <laughs> to join us today. He's not feeling all that great, so he'll be right here under my feet. <laughs> all right. You know, that is one of the benefits of you know, working from home and or working for yourself. How about that? Let's put it like that. So, you know, I, I feel like it's been so long since we've all been together. So who are you guys? <laughs> well, Kelly, Kelly has to go first because she has to tell us about her amazing trip where she's been. Yeah. I went to Valencia, Spain. My daughter is doing the auxiliary program. So she's teaching English in um, Spain for the Spanish government. And um, it was a it was a good trip. It was a bit long for only eight days. I would have rather stayed longer, but I had to get back for you guys. Um, I got to read a lot and listen to a ton of podcasts because the flights were brutally long. So I want to give a shout out to Dory Clark's new book, The Long Game. Um, I'm actually thinking of doing a podcast episode just reviewing the book because I really enjoyed it. Have you guys read it yet? No. No, oh. you didn't that. I'm excited, I, you know, to add it to the huge list of books. But I really enjoyed it. And I kind of, um, I know someone who's done her coaching and it's not cheap. And I know like other people who have done it and they're all rock stars. So um it was great to read her book. It was a really easy read and I really enjoyed it. So, all right, let me just say Thomas is here and Thomas said he's right in the middle of a playoff game. Thomas posted something on LinkedIn yesterday or today where he said every time he talked to Joe and Kelly, it ended up, it ended in an Amazon purchase. <laughs> let me just say Kelly just dropped the name of a book, which I'll probably have to get in audio format now. So, thanks guys. Yeah. Kelly. <laughs> Put the book in the chat for everybody. Thomas needs to keep growing that Amazon shopping cart. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's Kelly. Now, Joe is back too. Well, Joe was here last week, but Joe was in her car last week. I was. I'm back in my normal environment this week. Kelly, you missed it. I had a dentist appointment and I ran out to my car <laughs> and I sat in my car. And Robert and I did Friday Froster. It was fun. Yep. Oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I'm last... dedicated. It's right. We are. Yeah. Last week's episode, we talked a lot about ethics, and uh, we've got some good sound bites coming out uh, pretty soon because that was a real good conversation. Yeah, and we tried to um, bring out our inner Kelly. We did good. Robert was ready to bring out his inner Joe and his inner Kelly. He wasn't sure if I was going to make it. So he was doubly prepared, triply prepared to be all of us, he said. Oh and, yeah. But we did our best to do our our Kelly hashtagging. We did good. All right, guys. So let's take a look at our audience before we dive into today's story. Hal is here and he says, We're now among an all-star. We are not worthy. Who's the all-star? Oh it's you <laughs> see Robert's last LinkedIn post. <laughs> and we have Cindy Jean here. She's showing up as LinkedIn user, but that is Cindy Jean. And she says, happy Friday to everyone. Heather is here with a big smile on her face. And Duke is here. And Duke is saying hello with a question mark. Duke, what, what are you questioning, man? You're in the right place. You're on the Friday Fraudsters, the best live show and podcast, uh, live show about fraud. We what was I about to say? Forgot what I was about to say. Sorry. It's I'm running. <laughs> I'm running mission control here. And my man Juma is here. Good afternoon, folks. Good to see you, Juma. Um, you guys don't. How are Sorry. those Astros doing, Thomas? You'll have to tell us in the chat since none of us are watching the uh, the game right now, clearly. Oh, you know what? I didn't see that he said a playoff game. I thought maybe he was at one of his kids' games. He's he's at an Astros game. Something, or he's watching it. He may not be there, but. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. He may not be there. And Laurie is here, and Laurie is all smiles. Good to see you, Laurie. So, I, you yeah. know what? I have a quick question, because Laurie's thing just popped up. And um, 
because I'm not a CIA. When you guys have CIA in your title, do people think that it's the CIA? Of course they do. I use it as an intimidation tactic. I don't tell them otherwise. I, who, who cares that it really stands for certified internal auditor? That's right. I am a CIA mess with me. I just was to. wondering, like, I mean, you know, with we have so many, you know, LinkedIn and stuff out there. Like, I wonder if people that are not in audit are thinking, oh, my God, the CIA people put their. Well, am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. No, you're not crazy. A student, I just did a student night this week, Monday night or Tuesday night at a university, and they don't have a clue what CIA stands for. So my role is to educate them on our version of the CIA. But they're like, if you Google that, it's it's like the CIA. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, always going to be the number one answer in Google. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to you to educate them, Joe. I just use it to my advantage. That's right, CIA. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not that different. If you think about it. Uh, Central Intelligence Agency, that's us auditors sometimes. Good one. Hey, Mark, good to see you, man. Mark said you don't want to be a spook. I don't know. Sometimes you do. And Lori says, I'm not sure what people think, but I love saying that I'm CIA. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you know, sometimes I would dress up in black and pretend like I was like, an honorary man in black, right? I mean, you know. You know, speaking of dressing up, uh, we are coming up on Halloween. And when I did my ethics presentation for the Houston IIA this week, I had several people put in the chat that their Halloween costume was going to be Elizabeth Holmes. They're just going with a black turtleneck. And I thought, oh, why hadn't I thought of that yet? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That is hilarious. Now, wait a minute. We, we got to have, we got to do this one last comment. This is funny. Heather says, every time she tells someone that she's an auditor, they ask if she works for the IRS. Yeah. Now that one, I'm actually, I'm act, I actually do take offense to that one. I, I... <laughs> well, it's just like every time I tell somebody I'm a CPA, they ask me a tax question. Right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I, I don't want to do taxes. I like people more than I do numbers. That's actually what I tell folks. That's a great I like people thought. more than I do. Oh, you know what, you guys? Hold on. Give me just one more second here, because I think I think uh, that uh, Mr. Barry has made an oopsie. Yeah, I did. That's OK. Uh oh, uh -oh. no it one was... noticed. Wait, that I put up the wrong so much, slide. So much for that all star. <laughs> <laughs> Even though no, there's a lesson here. Even all stars make oopsies. <laughs> well, and, and I think even all stars admit when they make the oopsies. But, Ooh, but, but, so better. today, today, you guys, you see the title, Chief of Theft? I meant staff. I meant theft. I meant staff theft or something like that. Okay, here's what we're talking about. This one's a real good one, you guys. Maryland's, uh, Maryland governor's former chief of staff has been indicted for fraud. So the... <laughs> The former, chief, the former chief of staff was indicted Tuesday on charges he defrauded the state agency he previously led into giving him a severance package of more than $233,000, among other allegations. You guys want to hear about some of those other allegations? Of course you do. In addition to the severance pay, equal to his annual salary at another organization he worked for, he, uh, he, he made a donation to another organization and used the, the government's accounts. So the criminal information also alleges that he recorded private conversations with senior Maryland officials. Let's talk about that one for a minute too. So in the United States, there are, there are a few states that will allow you to record conversations and uh, not inform people that you're recording those conversations. Those are called one party states. Only one party has to be aware that the conversation is being recorded. Uh, in other states, everyone involved has to be aware that something's being recorded. Well, Maryland is a state where everyone has to know. And apparently he made some recordings without telling everyone. He also got them to pay off his student loan obligation to Harvard. 
And I think I'm missing something, you guys. Am I missing something else? Well, um, the, what was the one thing that I looked at that, uh, I, you know, when I first looked at this, I was just like, this is politics. This is like, you know, I hate to say it, but it is such politics. Um, I remember what it is now. Okay. He, he did not use his vacation time when he was off jet setting on vacation. So he still got paid and didn't use his vacation and sick time. And then I think he cashed it out when he left an organization to go work for the governor. That's the highlights, but it gets deeper than that. So what do you guys think, Kelly? You were just saying it's politics. We'll go back to you. It's politics. All right. You know, these are I, I, I feel like this case is just going to quietly go away. Like, Maybe right. you know, there's the big bang of the press release and everything. But I think the lawyers are going to get involved. And Robert and I were talking about this before the show. Lawyers. OK, I'm warning you lawyers in the audience. I just think that there's going to be a lot of like horse trading back and forth and everything. And then it'll go away and we won't ever hear about it again. I, unfortunately, I don't think it's right, but. This is what happens in a lot of these cases. I don't know, Joe, what do you think? You you have this look of like, no. No, no, it's not that. It's that I don't understand politics and never will, maybe, perhaps. But I was just, so the chief of staff essentially reports to the governor or yep. whoever. That's it, right? Like, That's so, it. you know, when you were just talking about the, you know, not taking his vacation time. You know, I'm I'm thinking like, what are the controls around that? Like, does the governor really review the vacation submitted by his chief of staff? I don't know. Like, I'm just curious with the level of involvement in that kind of administration, administrative stuff. I'm I'm just you know, my mind goes to that happens all the time in politics, right? In government, I'm sure. Like, okay, oh, so does. Clarence just put up. It's a lot more with that case, and it is crazy. And Clarence, you're you're like there in the thick of it. Yeah, Clarence is in Maryland. Clarence says he left one agency to work for another. We'll get to that in just one moment, because Clarence <laughs> is definitely correct. Hal says, will it come up in the Maryland governor's race in 2022? I'm betting it will. And Cindy Jean said she agrees with you, Kelly. This will probably just go away. Which right. I would say... That like if you're a regular person, it wouldn't go away. Right. So when when like regular people get caught doing naughty things, they're held to account. But when there's horse trading going on, and I mean I hate to say it is like some people are really good at politicking. They're really good at like going, okay, if you do this, I'll let you do this and yep. I'll do this for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people survive like that because um, they're good at it. I would be terrible at it. I agree I 100%. So check this out. So initially, he was the executive director of the Maryland Environmental Service. So that was a corporation owned by the state of Maryland to provide environmental services such as water and wastewater management, solid waste, things like that, to state and local government agencies and private clients. When he was working for them, he was making on average about $233,000 per year. That was uh, his base salary plus bonus. The bonuses were about twenty dollars to $30,000 per year. So then the governor hired him as the chief of staff. And when the governor hired him as the chief of staff, he, uh, it was a pay cut to go and work for the government from what he was making. So here's what he did. He told the board at his previous job that the governor had okayed them paying him a severance of one year's worth of his salary. Then he told the governor that the board had approved him getting one year severance when neither party actually knew about it. But here's the kicker. In the uh, documentation, they actually obtained some text messages where the board of directors texted him and said, hi, the HR committee wants to make sure that the governor would be OK with you receiving severance equal to one year's pay. They are worried about the optics and do not want any 
uh, and don't want to do anything to make the governor look bad. I told them that I thought that the governor was aware and was okay with it. Correct. So he asked this question and he responded back. It's anticipated. Yes. Not to mention the presidencies. Tax people don't. Uh, and uh, Clarence just put, he knows more than he is saying. I'm going to say as chief of staff, he's got the dirt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Now, Clarence also said the internal auditor was fired, but they said the person quit. That happens a lot. They probably gave the auditor a severance to quit or, you know, or they, they probably gave him an ultimatum, either be fired or take this severance and leave. But what was the internal auditor's role in this? Like what, I don't know, in your opinion, like what should they have found or done or... Am I missing something? I don't know. You know, maybe Clarence it really, knows it really depends, though, because how would they have known about this? But the question, several questions. I'm betting somebody called it into the whistleblower hotline, which is how the auditor got involved. And when the auditor started investigating, they started putting the pressure on the auditor. Now, Clarence said, uh, no, they pushed the person out. Yeah. Could this is why you have to always have an FU fund. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it could have had nothing to do with this, right? They could have just not liked them. But... That's true, but it's probably related. I yeah. mean, <laughs> probably uh, related. Let me guess. He's being charged with wire fraud. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Seems like everybody else is charged with wire fraud. Now, Heather says... Wait, where did Heather's go? Heather says there was no documentation other than the text messages to verify that. Well, Heather, you know that there's other documentation that we don't know about yet. But Clarence says, yes, a fraud hotline tip. Hey, see, this is why I'm an all star. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag tips find fraud. Yes. Hey. Good job. Got it. Um, and by the way, Hal, um, McGrath could face up to 20 years in prison for each of the four counts of wire fraud. So you guessed it. <laughs> Darn it. I was a little late with my sound effect when Joe said uh, uh, tips find fraud. I don't know if you guys heard the sound effect. No. Oh, there it is. <laughs> heard it. Oh, now Clarence says, yes, uh, lots of bullies at the agency. Now, here's what I will say. In almost in most governmental agencies, you'll find a lot of this politicking, no pun intended, <laughs> that happens um, because there's so much at stake. Because I'll tell you a few things that I noticed reading the indictment and some of the other documentation. They actually picked him up. So, so first, he's 52 years old and he's retired. Secondly, he was the chief of staff in the state of Maryland, but they picked him up in his home in Florida. Tax Florida man, Florida man. <laughs> so now let's see if we can talk about what else has happened before we can get into maybe talking about uh, mm, how to maybe. Oh, 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 here's the other thing. So here is what his uh, salary was. Maybe you guys, hopefully you guys can see this. Um, let me get it back on the screen here. Oops. Oops. So here was his salary in 2017. It was one hundred and ninety nine thousand. Twenty eighteen, two nineteen, twenty nineteen, two twenty eight. And in twenty nineteen, his bonus was forty four thousand dollars. So he left in twenty twenty to take the job as the governor's chief of staff. And that is why he asked for a payout of two hundred and thirty three thousand dollars, because that is how much he was slated to make that year in that at that job. So he got paid to be on the mayor's uh, the governor's staff. Then he got the $233,000 severance. Then he turned in an expense after he had left for $14,000 for his tuition for Harvard. And uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the documentation alludes to the fact that maybe he coerced uh, a former employee there to actually pay that expense reimbursement of $14,000. Bully again. Yeah. 
$14,475. This is why I work for myself. I can't, I can't deal with the horse trading. I a loss for words because it's politics. I don't know about you guys. I am. I agree with what Heather just said. Yeah. Heather says these bonuses that people make are ridiculous. There are sometimes more than most people's salaries. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then Mark says, "Who's going to pay for the lawyers?" <laughs> oh, come on. We no, know. No, I mean honestly, is. that like you know, what policy is going to pay for it? Right. He's right. not paying for it. So yeah. the taxpayers are going to be paying for it. I yep. think we need to do a follow-up Friday fraudster on some of these cases that we did originally to see what happened because this is one where it's like, I want to know the end of the story while we're, you know, before we're talking or while we're talking about the story. So I wonder how many we could go back and like actually get the end of the story now. That'd be like fun. Paul Harvey says, <laughs> you know, Paul Harvey's little, the, I, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, you're right though. That that would be cool to start. I'll have to start looking through some of the stories so that we can go back to them. Um, but yeah, Mark says needs to be a well-run hotline to get those tips. Yep. Agree. And then Mark also says the chief of staff knows everything and strong arms a lot, at least in New York State when he was there. I will tell you, I've heard a lot about chief of staffs and uh, I've worked with a few and that's I would say that that's fairly accurate. Yeah. I couldn't do fairly it. Accurate. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't last a week. I wouldn't last a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Yeah. So Clarence well, says it's a quasi state or uh, agency, not really a state agency. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they were able to pay such high salaries as well as bonuses like that and there, there are a lot of each state has quasi quasi state agencies so they're usually funded by a little bit of tax dollars a little bit of grant money they make a little bit of revenue on whatever product or service it is that they sell but he was the executive director of this agency and he left to be the chief of staff for the governor now the, the one thing that strikes me as odd is that employee that processed that expense report after he had already left the agency why did he do it? And then the second thing is, why, did not, why didn't the board of directors get more evidence besides a text message, if they maybe they did have more, that the governor had approved that severance? I mean, his, the board member's concern was valid. Hey, we don't want to make the governor look bad. And, you know, he even read that and still responded. Yeah, he knows. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Yeah, he knows. So... Um, I think one thing that could have prevented this would have been a very good, uh, tight controls over the expense reimbursement. That would have been kind of the door that cracked open a little bit, but as far as the severance goes, that was at the board level. So that was at the highest level within the organization. So how do you, how do you actually, you know? I was actually going to ask that question how many auditors on here have ever been involved or done like a severance audit or because obviously that gets into some pretty sensitive areas but when it comes to consistency of policy and governance and culture uh, you know it'd be an interesting area to dive into at a lot of companies i don't know what do you guys think have you ever done it robert no. Never done it. But now that you mention it, it would be great because you would see I, here's the thing. You would see payoffs that they've made to people to keep them quiet. And to be frank with you, those would be the people that you would want to talk to because they know where the bodies are buried. Just to be frank. Well, and that's why, you know, everybody always laughs at me when I say, like, if your company does exit interviews, you know, get the information. But this is similar to that. Right. I mean, it's 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 a way of gathering data and information. I think, you know, to even do data analytics on severance packages, Yep. say like here was the level, here was the amount. Like, I don't know. We're getting into something kind of interesting here. Hey, Heather says she checks the severance account twice a year. I love it. Good job, Heather. Awesome. I love it. 
what, so, is, what does check mean, Heather? Tell us, like, what, yeah. if you can, because I'm, I'm like seriously intrigued by this concept. Now, Mark says this has to do with being the an everyday ethicist. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the plug. Clarence, lots of people were on the take. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I might have to call Clarence just to, to hear some stuff about it. Now, Hal says, government, there is no <laughs> governance. Sad. Ooh, Clarence says a lot of employees retired. Well, he didn't put it in quotes, but I'm sorry. I'm I'm interpreting that for you, Clarence. My bad, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. I am interpreting that for you. Now, Heather says, uh, but outside of the financials and the severance account, nothing else. Oh, okay. So just how much it is. Yeah. I and think this that ACFE report to the nations that, you know, the fraudsters that are here, their punishment is much less than the fraudsters that are down here in the org chart. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, but, you know, a lot of these are career employees. And like Clarence says, they got pushed out. Like some of them probably have worked there 30 years. And talk about leaving a bad taste in your mouth and losing any social capital that you have. It's just, I mean, can you imagine working for a place, any place for that amount of years and then like only to be pushed out yeah. by a bully? Yep. And, and it happens a lot. Hey, did you guys know, did you guys know? Ooh that Kelly Paxton has a podcast called Great <laughs> Women in Fraud. Smooth transition there. <laughs> well, we had a break this week because I just couldn't pull it together. <laughs> I don't know if I can pull it together for next week either. Um, but uh, the most recent two episodes with uh, Cheryl Obermiller, who wrote Fraud Points, they are like, Woo! everyone is loving the two episodes with Cheryl because it's hysterical and but also so on point. So, yeah, those are going to be some of the two best episodes, like most downloaded. And I'm going to say by the end of the year, over 10,000 downloads. Nice. That is really, really cool. But you know what else? Did you guys also know that Kelly and Joe, they have a book slash movie club. That you can get CPE for. Tell the folks about that. Um, so October 19th. So we're what? 11 days away from our next one. We did WeWork and we had so much fun. We decided to do it again. So we're doing the big short. You guys remember the book from what? 2010, Kelly, and the movie's 2015, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to dive into those. And yeah, one hour, we're going to give another ethics because we're going to talk about who was short on ethics during the financial crisis. And I know you guys all need that ethics CPE. I just got the email from the IIA to certify my CPE requirements. So I'm all checking my own ethics, but I've got it. So you guys, uh, know you need one more. Join all right. Now, what's the website they can go to to get information about that? CPEbookclub.com. We'll get you directly to that one. We'll be at the top. And then all the other ones that uh, I've done or Kelly and I've done or Rob and I have done are on there as well. Past ones. Goodbye, the replays. Now, you guys know that we are shaking things up in audit, ethics, and fraud. So what I'm doing is awesomeauditors.club. That's what I want you to join. Join me on this journey as we make a better experience for all auditors. I think those of us who've been doing this for a while owe it to others to teach them and we all owe it to one another to help support one another, because as you can tell, based on these stories, our jobs, they're very difficult. So go to awesomeauditors.club, leave me your email address, and I will be in touch with some information for you guys. You'll also be included on my mail list, mailing list where every once in a while you'll hear from me. Hi. I'll say hi and maybe tell you a few stories and point you to some resources and things like that. Ah. Uh, because we are all awesome freaking auditors. And I guess I'm an all-star. <laughs> You're gonna have you, to wait, do you do you have allstarauditor.com? Yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna have so many domains by the end of this. <laughs> I know, right? I don't have all ooh, wait a minute now. All-star <laughs> auditor. Write that down. <laughs> but 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 now. Now, guys, who in the world is driving away with fraud? Hmm. 
I got confused for a minute there because last week we talked about driving up the cost of fraud. So that's why I was on the wrong slides initially. So let's get into this, one, my friends. A Massachusetts used car dealer and eight others have been accused of participating in a wide reaching conspiracy to defraud financial institutions in several states by obtaining fraudulent car loans secured with stolen personal identifying information and fraudulent documents created by members of the conspiracy. Hey, you know what? That was my doggone uh, newscaster voice right there. That was pretty cool. That was... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, let me get serious here. As part of the scheme, the conspirators falsely identified complicit bank account holders as sellers. So people who were complicit in the fraud, they used them as sellers. And they also used shell car businesses created by the members of the conspiracy to induce lenders to extend loans to purported purchase used cars. So in other words, they took out fraudulent car loans and used the banks. As part of the scheme, though, who they had false bills of sales, fake automobile titles, fake pay stubs, fake proof of employment, identifying both members of the conspiracy and the shell companies as the sellers of the vehicles. Now, it is also alleged that the members of the conspiracy used stolen personal identification and the actual identities of some of the co-conspirators to apply for the loans that they open at the bank accounts. Okay, one thing I want to say, like right off the bat from the um, press release is I feel old. Like they range from age 25. There's one that is um, 51, but 25, 28, 29. I feel old. These are like young criminals. Yeah. 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 And very young. And by the way, side note, total side note, I was searching for more on this. And apparently nine criminals is a common number for group because you will come up with other stories. And it's what's funny is there is a very similar one from last year in Syracuse, New York, um, where nine men were also charged, charged for a smash and grab um, like fraud. And they were stealing identities, but they were doing like car, like actual car theft. But anyway, I just thought it was pretty funny. They were pretty young too and it's kind of a sad story but if you search nine apparently gangs of nine is pretty common for fraud who knew i, I don't know anyway. and poso says fraud is ageless <laughs> but i'm going to say that you know once they're in this is just going to be a, a consistent gripper grifter yep absolutely well, you know okay so let's talk about this one for a minute because i am just i i am truly amazed by this because when you buy a car and you get a car loan, oftentimes, obviously, the bank wants to verify the identity of the person that's purchasing the car. But oftentimes, well, like 99.99% of the time, they obtain the VIN number for the vehicle and they try to establish that it actually is a vehicle. So how in the world were they able to get loans did they create fake VIN numbers? Because I don't even know if you can do that. Did they use uh, junk cars? I was trying to find that out because at some point the bank should have, un unless these guys were a little smarter than I'm giving them credit for right now, somehow when they verified that these were actual vehicles by using the VIN, the vehicle identification number, it would have come up as uh, uh, a, fa a fake number or a junk car or something would have come up. Well, okay, and then, so I'm gonna say our us and our audience, we probably go to pretty legit car dealers, but like in Portland, we have a part of town that I'm gonna say they're not maybe so legit. They're like a little sketch. So this isn't gonna be like at the Acura dealership or like the Chevy dealership. These are gonna be in the like, you know, buy, car no cash down.com or something like that i don't know is that crazy to think that maybe they're not going to um you know above board dealers 
But I think it's a great question. I mean, they created everything else fictitiously. The companies were fake. The car sales companies were just shell companies, right? The people buying them were fake or stolen identities. They were real people, right? So if if we're using the same concept of that you're using a real person's identity, they have to be using a real car's VIN number to do it too, right? I don't, that's just my... But yeah. that's just so e- weird. And Cindy Jean said, uh, not Cindy, yeah, Cindy Jean says, yes, I know about this firsthand. Agency life is definitely an experience. Now, Cindy works for Wells Fargo. So I don't know if you work in that arm, the auto lending arm of Wells Fargo. Uh, now, Hal says you cannot create fictitious bins. I didn't think so, which is why it, it's it's somewhat concerning, because if you pull up this VIN number and like, how do you not see that someone else still has possession of this vehicle, if, especially if you cross the VIN number with any state uh, licensing records or anything like that? So this one is a weird one. And when I looked at the indictment and some of the records, the list of banks that they did this to was endless. I stopped counting after 25. I was just like, yeah, because I was curious how many banks. I just stopped counting. It just it, it wasn't worth it at that point. They spread the love for sure. I love <laughs> too. They spread the love. <laughs> they spread the love. Uh, <laughs> now Hal says, I need a car on the down low, Kelly. Where exactly in Portland is this? 82nd. 82nd. <laughs> yeah. And Kelly knows this. Why? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay, sorry, a little off topic. I am reading a um, is it John Stanford book? And it's set in Florida, Hal, and it's about mafia and drugs and guns. And I'm having, like, you know, Florida man, it's, and <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think I'm going to Florida anytime soon after Florida man, me reading this new book, like, you know, mystery, dead bodies. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah. Now, this article also says that, um, that the after, let's see, they would apply for loans and open bank accounts that the proceeds uh, of the fraudulent loans were deposited into. And then after which they would quickly withdraw the proceeds. Okay. So now again, just thinking like an auditor and analyzing this, they set up fake companies, fake auto dealerships mm-hmm. to create these loans for people now wouldn't it also be a red flag if you just set up a new bank account for an auto dealership whether it's a new auto dealership or not or or an existing auto dealership wouldn't it strike you as strange that you set up a bank account and then all of a sudden as soon as you set it up you're just making sales hand over fist i got you need to season the account i wonder if they seasoned the account you know, with some small deposits or. That's what I would think. I have a perhaps stupid question, even though there's, I know there's no stupid question, but this might be a really stupid question. I know we've talked about before, like fiduciary duty on banks. Like, is there any requirement for banks to monitor activity in accounts or is that a breach of privacy? I'm just curious. You know, that's a good question because we we know that they already monitor credit card activity because most banks have fraud software that goes and analyzes your transactions and looks at, um, you know, uh, um, um, what am I trying to say? Transactions that may be uh, fraudulent or suspicious. Yeah. It's like of cars on your credit card, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but are they doing it to bank accounts yet? I don't know. I haven't been in banking in a while. So uh, and I haven't been on that side of banking at all like just consumer banking so i'm just curious if anybody knows i mean that's what was it was it made it seem like they were opening account and a a fake account to put the money in just immediately taking the money out and then maybe even closing that and opening another account and it's like right at some point banks need to have i mean they have obligations to look for terrorists to look for you know all of that you do this the sars the suspicious activity reports like you know, at some point, this seems suspicious to me, and it seems like there should be some red, red flags that just pop up on the bank side. And I'm just, I'm curious. 
Yeah, so yeah. I have a connection, um, Justin Davis. He's actually outside of Boston. And he works for Point Predictive. And they do um, uh, a lot of stuff with car dealers loan or loans. Ah. Um, and I'm, like I see his stuff on LinkedIn all the time. And uh, he does it with auto lenders. And um, but again, you know, these are good. I'm going to say these are legit auto lenders, not the sketchy 82nd Avenue auto lenders where the interest rates are really high, probably. Yeah. <laughs> or there's so, a lot of cash payments. <laughs> so Dana just joined and she said how timely I just joined. So let's recap a little bit and maybe Dana can shed some light on this for us. Maybe, maybe. Is so this Dana we know? The Dana yeah. we know? Yeah. Yes, the Dana we know. Dana Lawrence. Yeah. So Here's what we're talking about today in our second story on the Friday Frosters, you guys. And if you've not listened to the podcast of this show and not told all your friends about it, what's wrong with you? Do you not love us anymore? We're available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere where podcasts are produced. Shameless plug, but okay. So <laughs> so what's happening is there was this uh, massive fraud ring where these individuals opened up these fake car dealerships and they got fake um, and they did fake auto loans. They opened up some bank accounts in association with the dealerships. They used some of their co-conspirators identities in order to make these car loans. And they stole some people's identities to make these car loans. Um, and it's said that as soon as the money was deposited into the business's bank accounts, they were closing some of the accounts. Oh, I'm sorry. They were taking the money out of some of the accounts. So what we're wondering is because all of this activity sounds suspicious, like you have a brand new car dealership that opens up a new bank account. And then as soon as they get money in, first, they have a lot of money coming in as soon as they've opened. That doesn't seem right. Then they move the money out immediately, too. So we know that banks monitor credit card transactions for fraud. So what we're wondering is, have banks started to or do banks monitor checking and maybe savings accounts for fraud as well? So that's kind of what we're wondering. I do know within our federal government structure, there's some laws that are currently, they're currently working on where they want to monitor <clears throat> certain accounts of people who make have more than $600 in their uh, bank accounts. So the federal government is trying to do that. Just be on the lookout. Look at what, what's happening in Washington. It's something that's going through Congress right now where they want to be able to look at bank accounts of all of us, people who make more than 600, have more than $600 in their bank accounts. Interesting. So anyway. We're getting a lot of, a lot of comments in the chat, which is great. Yeah, Dana says, uh, oh, in case you didn't see my identity, financial services professionals should be aware of red flags, see something, say something. Then she also said, depending on the type of business you're involved in, there should be uh, there should be sample red flags that might indicate fraud, suspicious activity, elder abuse, etc. And uh, Jane has joined us and she said some banks give a break in interest on auto pay for loans. So opening an account at the same time is pretty normal. And Jane also says recommendations. Banks should verify the physical car before the funding. So, Jane, you may have just joined us, but we were wondering about that because every car has a VIN number. Right. So if you look at the history of the car of the VIN number before you make the loan, something suspicious had to be in the air with these auto loans, because there's like there's, there's no way they could have found that many cars to actually have VIN numbers for. And I do know banks check the VIN numbers. And I think they maybe just check the VIN number to see if it's a legitimate number. They may not even look at the history of where the car has been. Which could be another recommendation. Like how closely are we looking at that stuff? I mean, yeah. I mean Kelly and I are getting ready to talk about the, the big short, right? And the financial crisis and the mortgage backed securities and all that stuff. So like it's on my head how little underwriters did to verify income and to, you know, all of that during the financial crisis. So, I mean, not that this is going to lead to like a major crisis again, but, you know, it's all about the controls and what we're looking at and verifying and, and all of that. It's an opportunity to get better. This is also like, I can't remember how much money is involved total 
Um, I looked for that everywhere, by the way. So uh, good point, Kelly, because I couldn't, I, I actually found one of the, the guys was, it said he obtained at least 92,000 of fraudulent loans to purchase fictitious cars. So that was the only dollar I found. Robert, did you find any other? And that was just one of the nine. Because I think more, again, more is going to come out about this one because each yeah. of them are going to be, um, you know, enter their pleas and everything. Oh, absolutely. This one is still fairly fresh. So I think I found the one you found where they talked about dollar amounts, but that's about it. Yeah, 275000 in used car loans, dispersing checks made payable to just one person. So anyway. You know, this goes to hells and everything. I mean, I hate to say it. This is just low-hanging fruit chump change. Mm -hmm. This isn't you know, this isn't, again, a very big deal. And so, um, yeah, I, it's just, it's the low hanging fruit. You know what though, Kelly, we've got to find the press release that calls it a sophisticated fraudulent scheme. <laughs> I couldn't even do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Okay. So now for those of you who don't know why I just said that almost every week, when there's a press release, they say it was a fraudulent, I mean, um, a sophisticated fraud scheme. And when we read it, it, it never really is. So I'm, I'm definitely being very sarcastic when I say that. Now, Hal says the dealer will register the car with the state so that you can get the title. How does that happen in this case? Well, but, but you know, typically the lender is the one that has the title initially. So the bank would have been the one with the title uh until it's paid off and then the bank releases it so uh, well and there's this, no real dealer in this case i mean there's no right uh, right it's a big company so like you know you guys laugh about this being or the sophisticated fraud scheme this one is a little interesting because i don't think we know i don't think we fully understand how they even did it so could be that so, this one is sophisticated here's my speculation my speculation is that it's a timing issue because, and I'll give you an example of what I mean using the mortgage industry as an example. So uh, many, many years ago, early in my career, we found someone who had changed the information for the closing agent and had diverted checks to her, to herself, to a PO box that she owned. Well, that scheme is short lived because when the homeowners show up at the closing table, to try and close on their home, the check will not be there. So I think with this one, it's probably a timing issue because the bank probably verified the VIN kind of sort of, but didn't do their thorough checks. And they said, okay, it's, it's valid. Then the money was deposited. Hence the reason they moved it out of the account so fast for the business account. Because other than that, I, I don't see how this could actually happen with so many checks and balances that should be in place. So my speculation is that it's a timing issue. Well, and you bring up a great point. It's like you can't sell a car or get a loan on a car twice, right? I mean, it's that question of are there any outstanding loans against, you know, this home or liens or, you know, against this title? You know, you check somebody who actually has that VIN is going to check at some point you you would think if they go to sell it and it's going to have this loan out against it so yeah. you know it is kind of that similar scenario so this also goes to like I, i'm having a flashback to the sopranos and um you know what <laughs> we are not street smart we aren't no like <laughs> hey I speak mean, for yourself i, I got my street cred <laughs> Rob, if i had to make a living drifting I would be, I'd starve. These people are crafty. I mean, yeah. we're, we're sitting there talking about internal controls and they're like, internal controls, I just need some money. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think we're a little too we uppity. Are. We are. I do we could not make it on, we could not make it. I couldn't make it over on 82nd. I'd be ripped <laughs> off. I'd be, you know, I, yeah. Oh my, uh, yeah. Robert, right, so, Robert took a little bit of offense to that, but I completely yeah. agree. <laughs> so, so the other thing I thought too, though, in all seriousness, so you got the timing between the VIN. And so ordinarily the, the, the lender would have the title, but I'm guessing that there was no title that was given 
to the lender. Either that or they use VIN numbers for cars that were actually in the junkyard already. And so what what could have happened is you have these cars sitting here, the loan has been taken out, and then they never supplied the um the title to the lender. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Mark says street cred, no street crud. And then he said, Robert, please. Yeah, I know I have no street cred. But then Thomas says that, hey, I bought a hoodie the other day. I've got street cred. <laughs> and Jane says, and yeah, this is what I was getting to. Jane says transfer of title happens after funding of the loan. So yeah, they took the money and they didn't transfer the title and they just ran. And they probably use some of the same titles to make loans at other banks, too. So, yeah, a timing issue. Thank you, Jane. That's what I was trying to say. But you just said it a whole lot better than I was saying it. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I'm I'm stumped trying to figure out exactly how they did this one. <laughs> we just aren't smart that way. We need to be a little more creative. Maybe we need a fraudster. Oh, we should have a fraudster on the show as a guest every once in a while. Mm. Kelly's in charge of that. <laughs> I, got my, I have my felon friends. I got felon friends. Hashtag felon friends. I, I don't have very many of those, admittedly. So. Now, you know that this is going to be one that I clip out. I have to clip out. I have felon friends and then the hashtag felon friends. That. <laughs> Maybe we could um, share this on Andy Fastow's LinkedIn and see if we could get him to join us. I mean, he speaks. Why not? I don't think he's got a lot of street cred. No, he doesn't either. That's right. We are, we are talking. We aren't talking white collar. And and Kelly, can I just say to your point, like, I know we do these type of stories on purpose because we like doing the everyday stories that could have impact all of us. But it is sad to me how much some of these people get punished and how little some of the big ones go unpunished, right, Kelly? I mean, that's what you were starting to say. So I just wanted to go back to that point for a second. Yeah, it's it's low hanging fruit. It's people who, you know, get a public defender, can't afford a white shoe law firm, um, you know, it's and, and they're like, ah, you know what? I got six to 18 months. Oh my God. In the book last night, it was really funny. I'm going to have to try and find it for next week. They call there's a stint in federal prison that they call referred it to. And I hadn't heard that before, but these are people who their friends are probably, you know, Oh, I got to go see Joey or, you know, Sally, you know, the big house. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that unexpected. Mm -mm. Whereas, you know, when Andy Fastow goes to prison, it's a little different. Oh, oops, did he go? He did go, didn't he? He did. So here's a thought. Mark is saying you need to spend more time with your felon friends. Kelly, you could do an internship with them. I mean. My felon friends are the ones that are reformed. (laughs) He's like, just to be clear. Very, very put Joe, huge issue to me. It is a huge issue. I mean, look at, I mean, look at Elizabeth Holmes. How many stories have we done with people that have 11 counts of wire fraud, just like Elizabeth Holmes? And look at what she did compared to what some of them we saw. Yes, the stories are still horrible. You know, the stealing from charter schools, the stealing from nursing homes, the, you know, telemedicine fraud, like they're bad. But like, look at Elizabeth Holmes's healthcare brought like sorry i'm on a soapbox because i'm listening to the podcast right now kelly the bad blood yeah after and it's so worth listening to to just get even more of those details if you guys are still following that story listen to that now you know i'm still following it she's my favorite villain i know but bad blood the final chapter it's john carey ruse podcast now about it and it's it's intriguing to me and amazing, just again pointing out some of these we talk about. It, it it's nowhere near the the uh, the fraud that this was like the it, huge. It just keeps getting. I just keep finding out more that I'm just like ah. And I actually put in the chat um, a reporter who's been live tweeting 
for the whole time, um, oh. Dorothy Atkins, and she's a reporter at Law 360. I think I mistakenly said earlier uh, at the Wall Street Journal, but um, yeah. Oh, it's, wow. Okay, so when the whole jury thing comes down for Elizabeth Holmes, we are going to spend an hour talking about it. And I literally, I don't know where it's going to go. I know. Uh, I can't wait. I, I like, I'm like, I cannot wait. It's going to be interesting. And to Mark's point, he says there seems to be a different standard of proof the higher up you are. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at uh, Steve Cohen. They never got him. You know, these hedge funders are like, oh, you're going to have to have a family office. Ooh, punishment, family office. You know, I, sorry. Right. Yeah, house arrest. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yep. You know, so hey, you guys, you are watching, listening to the Friday Fraudster. Go on Apple, give us a five star review. By the way, check out Audit Bites, my podcast. Yeah, I know, another shameless plug. You know, I'm doing this thing weekly. I wasn't intending on doing it weekly, I was intending on doing it bi weekly, but I'm having so much darn fun. Here's what I'll say if there's something you want me to talk about, you just want to hear my opinion because I really do just give my opinion real rough and raw. Email me. Let me know what you want to talk about. Again, Friday Froster on all your favorite podcasting platforms. But also while you're here, you probably need to go to a fraud retreat, right? Well, I know two people who are throwing on a fraud retreat. Hey, I'm getting good at this thing, huh? these transitions. <laughs> and I'm going to talk really fast because I want to talk about the Innovative Auditor Challenge, too. Oh. Almost forgot about that. I know because we have a surprise announcement to make, but um, fraud retreat. Yeah, we do. Oh, fraud yeah, we do. Retreat, really quick. Uh, just go to fraudretreat.com. Kelly and me and Leah Whiteholter um, and Nicole Landau, we're going to just have 16 hours of fun fraud together next August. So just go check it out. Uh, and then Innovative Auditor Challenge. I know some of you are always on it. We do five days a week. It's October 25th through the 29th. This is our fourth time this year, fourth quarter event. We always have a Friday guest. And guess who this time's Friday guest is? I don't Ooh. know what you That way. <laughs> wait, wait, no. Yeah. Kelly Paxton is going to be talking to auditor, auditors about fraud. So Hashtag honored. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, I'm so glad. I'll put okay. the link in the comments for the Innovative Auditor Challenge. It's going to be awesome. You know, Joe, I'm so glad you brought it up because, I, you know, I completely forgot. I mean, it's, it's no. and I should remember because it's not like I do a whole lot of things. So, so you guys, auditors, the Innovative Auditor Challenge, it is five days a week, five different topics, mm -hmm. five different speakers for one hour each day. And it's at a very reasonable rate. What is it now? Is it twenty five dollars? Twenty five bucks. It's five bucks a CPE, you guys. It's so cheap. Yeah. So why wouldn't you come to that? Five hours of CPE credit for twenty five dollars. Joe has just dropped the link into the chat. Kelly's going to be the special guest, and Kelly's saying she's got to run. I got an appointment. See you next Friday, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. So innovative auditor challenge check it out joe what are you talking about this time i am talking about how auditors can be more lean so hot topic but we're going to talk about eliminating waste and uh, nurturing our audit skills a lot um and by the way you guys i love i'm loving the, the the comments about internal auditors that are coming up right now in the chat too uh about our independence and um, the other one we don't work do work on higher ups at the organization Jane you would have liked my session at the last innovative auditor challenge because we talked I talked about the deadly ethical sins at organization and one of them is leaders disingenuous leaders and we've got to start auditing them so I agree I think Jane that. may have been there she's been on a, a oh, couple good. of innovative okay. auditor challenges okay, that is we do not do that enough and we need yeah to. So yeah. check this out, you guys. This time, I am talking about influencing while auditing. You got to be an influencer. I think that's what I'm talking about this time, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. I have everybody's programs. Do you guys want to know what everybody else is doing real quick before we let you go? Yeah. Um, Trent. I love Trent's topic. He's doing data visualization. Show me that data. 
but not pie charts, he says. I love that. Uh, Rob's doing influencing while auditing. Michelle is doing conflict management. There isn't always a resolution. So how do we manage that conflict as auditors? You guys, this is going to be so good. I'm just super excited. And then again, I'm talking about lean. How do we leverage, eliminate, apply, and nurture our internal audit skills? So it's going to be great. Mark says lean, mean, fighting machine. <laughs> CIAs. <laughs> lean, mean, CIAs. Let's CIAs. go to the circle today. Back to the beginning. Mark says great topic, Robert. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. So I'll just let you guys know a little secret. After this one hour influencing while auditing thing that I'm doing during the Innovative Auditor Challenge, I'm introducing a new program. It'll be about six to maybe eight hours on how to influence while auditing. So it's an entire program on influencing. If you want to know more about that, go to awesomeauditors.club. Leave me your email address. Plug boot camp on influencing. I love it. So we're moving yeah. communication to influence. Awesome. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Friday Froster. This is always, always, always fun. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>